is Thursday. 2 p.m. Wow. Am I echoing that bad? bad? So, we're back here. It's Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central. This is Pillars of Franchising without the echo, broadcasting the secrets of success. I'm Fred McMurray, and my co-host is Ray Pillar. Hey, Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Fred. How are you doing? I'm having computer issues, but what else is new? How's the weather there? As long as you're not having ticker issues, we're all right. Yeah. Not yet, but who knows what's, what's going to happen with the computer issues. Maybe that will just blow me up. Who knows? But, no, heart's been good and, and no real complaints there. Also have the my bottle of nitroglycerin nearby just in case. So if you hear boom, that's yeah. probably me eating too many. Yeah. <laughs> just don't blow up on us now. <laughs> well, hope well, not to. Hope not to. How's well, the weather there? Uh, here, here in uh, Aurora, Illinois, we've got partly cloudy weather and 28 beautiful degrees, and uh, I'm enjoying this. Finally, finally, what, uh, the winter has decided to settle in a little bit, and it's gotten below 32. It's about time. Well, I'll tell you, the last, since the last show, it was, it's been real ray weather here, you know, rainy, wet, cold, um, and and yet today the clouds have gone, it's blue, it's sunny, and and the the sun on the Pacific is almost so bright that I almost, almost can't look at it. Um, but, yeah, well, I am, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, hey. Hey, that's not me for once. Um, oh gosh, I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, we we love the song, so don't put that on there, folks. Um, so, Ray, who we got on today? Well, we have uh, Ron Silverstein, and Ron's been with us before. And uh, he is the uh, Chief Value Adder. Well, that's an interesting title. I like that. And we have a new guest, Tom Porterfield. So welcome to both you guys, Tom and Ron, and Ron and Tom. (laughs) That kind of like Tom and Jerry, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ray and, and Fred. It's good to be with you. Hey, it's good to have you. So first we'll go with we'll go with let's see, Ron, because R becomes uh comes before T. Ron, where are you? What's the weather like? Uh hey Fred. I'm in uh suburban Detroit, Michigan and it was sunny and about twenty five today. So uh Definitely a lot cooler the last couple of days. We had some good weather the last couple of weeks where it was sunny and upper 40s, but cooled down now. I think it's all coming from where Ray is. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> we send it all your way, including the snow. Actually, we add a little yeah. bit when it crosses the lake. <laughs> yeah, when I used to travel a lot to Chicago, I'd get a, I'd hit a snowstorm in Chicago and Wisconsin, and then I'd get back to Detroit and hit the the same darn snowstorm, <laughs> so it wasn't wasn't fun. Been well, there, done that. <laughs> so, Tom, where are you at? What's the weather like? 
Well, I am in north-central Arkansas, and we have uh, partly cloudy skies today, but we're expecting rain and the possibility of snow beginning tomorrow, Friday, through uh, sometime on Saturday. So, um, you know, bye-bye to the 60-degree days we had earlier in the week. So I'm the only one who's got 60-degree weather. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. You can all hate me. So today's topic, accounting, franchise accounting trends in 2019. Ray, what's our first topic, subtopic? Subtopic? Oh, gosh. I would say uh, uh, accounting trends for this new beautiful year we're having, 2019. Okay. What's your first topic then? Accounting trends. <laughs> Which what, accounting what's trend? New? I mean, what, what's new with the new tax season coming up? We got, uh, well, I got my W-2s out today from all my employees. So I'm a, a, uh, my employees kind of expect it. And matter of fact, we were having a conversation today. And they said, Ray, you're, you're the only company that I know of that gets W-2s out before the end of the month. I mean, you know, way before the end of the month instead of waiting for the end of the month. So maybe, maybe ask, let me ask that question. Is that unusual? Well, uh, Ray, the answer is the typical accounting answer, and that is it depends. Um, you know, but I would say that here in our office today, um, <laughs> that, that, that's always the standard answer. Um, we, in our uh, payroll service company, have already been issuing uh, W-2s and, you know, uh, really uh, trying to get our customers taken care of early in the month. And we like to do that rather than procrastinate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know, I know the employees like it because they like to get their uh, you know, tax returns in early so they can get their refunds in. Uh, and now, now that know. brings up an interesting point with the government shutdown and uh, and the filing season. Um, the prospect of filing early and getting a, a quick refund uh, may change this season with the current political environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the IRS uh, truly shut down, or uh, is it, or are they, they just limping along? Yeah, no, they're uh, they're pretty much shut down right now. They do have uh, a few people there, but I think the last that I saw said 88% of the IRS employees are furloughed right now and not working. Uh, it's virtually impossible to call there and get anyone to talk to, get any information from them. Uh, they have announced that they're going to start processing and accepting tax returns on January 28th uh, this year. Uh, they did just announce uh, a few days ago that they are planning on continuing to issue tax refunds, which uh, initially they had said they won't be issuing any tax refunds during the shutdown. But they uh, they came out on January 7th and said that they they will be issuing refunds still. So uh, they've been pretty much shut down. They're going to start calling some people back. 
as we get into tax season if this shutdown continues uh, months or years as it could, <laughs> as our president has told us uh, he's comfortable with doing. But uh, there aren't many people there right now uh, at the IRS. So mm. how do we get the IRS shut down? Never mind. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, as far as I can tell, that would be a good thing, but okay, well, we won't go there. Well, that would not All be right. a good thing <clears throat> until next at the end of this year, you see. If you know what I mean, because right now they have our money, we want it back. Some of it, some of us do anyway. And uh, you know, anyway, it's uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, let's start with Tom. What is uh, with respect to expenses? Are there any changes in the expenses? Uh, the way. Uh, for franchise accounting and how they account for expense, uh, you know, uh, deducting expenses. Any changes there? Um, you know, the biggest changes really are related to, you know, pass-through income and, and affect the individual's uh, individual taxation if you are a franchisee and own an S corporation or a partnership where you had your franchise, that's that's probably where we'll see the biggest change in terms of of uh, tax filing this year and deductions, limitations, and so forth. Um, the you know there are some things going on accounting wise related to uh, to franchise some of the revenue recognition and uh, also affect that that also affects possibly how franchisors manage their co-op uh, advertising funds uh, as it relates to the, the revenue recognition changes they've got. But that's that's really an accounting issue, not so much a tax issue. Ray, you're a co-op. You're in a co-op, aren't you? I am. So, uh, so uh, Tom, uh, can you get a little bit more specific on how uh, the accounting issues are affected uh, uh, in the advertising arena. He wants to know. He's scared now. You scared him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Ray, I don't think it will really affect you so much, but it's more at the franchisor level uh, related to how revenue now has to be recognized uh, at, by the franchisor, and in situations where maybe a franchisor has maybe expended funds, uh, advertising funds, maybe before they've uh, collected from the franchisees, looking at the franchise agreement and how that revenue is recognized, and if they really, if they they've pre-spent are they really entitled to the revenue that would would in effect um, you know cover cover that expenditure or are they forced basically to defer recording that receivable based on the new re revenue recognition guidelines so it's really more of an issue that affects franchisors and kind of the timing of the expenditure on those co-op funds and and basically saying this, you know, if they've expended the funds, 
uh, does that give them the ability to go ahead and bill it and collect it, or are they limited and um, on, on the recognition of that revenue in the current year and have to actually wait until they do become entitled to bill that revenue, if that makes sense? Sort of. <laughs> but, uh, well, the reason why that's uh, the reason why that's important is because Thank the you, franchisors, Ron. yeah, the franchisors have to prepare gap financials uh, for their FDD, and normally, you know, it's kind of the opposite of, of when we were talking about tax changes, uh, or when we talk about them later. For ta for tax purposes, you want to usually show as little income as possible and pay as little tax as possible. But for the franchisor's financial statements that are GAAP financials, that GAAP is generally accepted accounting principles that go in their FDD, which is used uh, for them by them to sell franchises, they want to show as much income as possible usually and as strong of a balance sheet as possible in those financials. So... Uh, the revenue recognition changes basically may prevent them from recognizing income sooner and, and force them to recognize it later when they collect the money from the franchisees if they collect it. So uh, it's one of the big changes for franchisors as the government tries to uh, uh, prevent them from recognizing income uh, earlier in their financials versus uh, recognizing it later. Okay, so you kind of confuse me there. The government wants to recognize it sooner or recognize it later? Well, for that, they're part of, you know, franchisors are regulated by the Federal Trade Commission, which is pretty much tasked with protecting consumers. And one of the things they try to do to protect consumers is put a lot of rules on the franchisors as to what they have to disclose to prospective franchisees when they're trying to sell a franchise. So uh, they've got rules related to when a franchisor can recognize income uh, on the sale of franchises um, and now on the co-op advertising funds where they... Uh, the government seems to try to prevent franchisors from uh, showing more income than they might be entitled to in their financials. Or not that they're entitled to, but they, they're focused on timing. Uh, when can they recognize the income? So when can they recognize income when they sell a franchise? When can they recognize income related to advertising fees that they charge their franchisees? And it can get pretty complicated, but uh, suffice it to say that uh, if franchisors are listening into this show, they want to make sure that whichever audit firm they're using or whoever, you know, their internal accounting staff is that they're up on the new rules coming into play for revenue recognition because it could affect current year financials and it could require some changes to prior year financials to make them consistent. I, I just want to clarify something uh, in, in case anybody's listening that 
we were talking about a cooperative between the franchisor and the franchisee, and Fred mentioned, are you a member of a cooperative? And I am a member of a franchisee cooperative. So in the Chicagoland area, there's 14 of us, and we belong to an advertising cooperative, which is different than what uh, Fred mentioned. Uh, so first we'll give Ron a shot. Does that matter, or will these rules also apply to to Ray's advertising co-op. Well, Ray, Ray, like, well, likely on a uh, a local cooperative. What they're what they're basically trying to do is, is share the cost of the advertising in their local areas. So they group together uh, multiple franchisees that would would share in the cost of the advertising among them, and. Uh, right. Probably these rules don't affect them. Uh, it depends. I think. I think it would depend on the setup of the co-op and whether it's a separate entity, or whether a bill comes in and all the different franchisees send a check for their share, and there's really no accounting for uh, for it as a co-op. So some co-ops are a separate entity. The new revenue recognition rules could apply to that for Ray's purpose on uh, how he reports his advertising for tax purposes. It would just depend on whether he's an accrual basis taxpayer or a cash basis taxpayer. And if he's cash basis, then when he sends the check-in for his share of the advertising, that's when it would be a deduction for him. If he's accrual basis, it's basically when the ad gets placed and his share of that advertising is figured out, then he'd record the advertising expense and uh, a payable. Yes, I am cash and an escort. So. Yeah, and so, the co-op fund that you pay into, well, I was going to say the co-op fund that you pay into probably doesn't do gap financials. It doesn't have a requirement to do gap financials, so you guys are probably on a cash basis tax reporting if that's a separate entity. So I, I really don't I think, think it so. would probably apply in this situation. It shouldn't. I will. I will mention it. <laughs> Make sure we're, we're good with that. You know, Fred, so, you always run a you run a little risk in talking to accountants because you know a good accountant is someone is that someone that can solve a problem you didn't know you had and explain it to you in a manner in which you cannot understand the really good ones bill you for it and um <laughs> you know <laughs> so it, it kind of seems like we're almost in a, a little bit of that type of a conversation at times here well i'll say this much <laughs> i'll say this much i reported in my it career to more uh, CFOs and accountants than I ever did IT people. Um, and we both used to tune each other out after a certain point when I'd go tech geek. And <laughs> well, I think we've probably got a few other things, too, that you know we can talk about that, that maybe are a little less uh, theoretical and, and so forth about accounting as we look through the list. But uh, I'll let you All guys right. proceed. So what about tax credits on pay payroll taxes paid on tips paid? How has that changed, or has it? 
I, I don't know that there's any changes there in that area, Fred. I think, you know, we put it on there just as a reminder for, you know, especially for franchisees, you know, just to make sure that their W-2 reporting uh, and the way that they manage uh, and pay employees that receive TIP income, there may be some credits there for the taxes that the employer has paid on TIP income, the FICA and Medicare. So if you're a franchise owner and your employees receive TIPs, you should ask your payroll provider about how that works and is there a tax credit available to you for the taxes you've paid on that TIP income that's been paid to employees. Oh, Ron, ooh, Ray likes that. Yeah, Ron, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do more. I marked that one. Yeah, down. I mean, <laughs> Wait, what? What were you? What did you? What did you ask, Fred? What's the question? Said, how's, I, how's Tom wrong? <laughs> <laughs> now, Tom, Tom's got, uh, you know, a separate payroll company under the umbrella of his firm, so I'm, I'm gonna defer to him on that one, and. Uh, uh, he, he's way more of an expert on payroll and payroll taxes than I am. Ooh, two accountants agreeing. That's scary. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> well, when, uh, when I started the franchise, the first person I hired uh, other than a manager was a, a, ta a tax accountant. <laughs> I knew that was not my area to, you know, to even think about doing things right. So uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the tax accountant I hired, actually uh, he read my FDD. Is, uh, I didn't want to pay a lawyer to do it. <laughs> I think he probably know more about what's going on than the lawyer anyway. So, no offense to any uh, franchise lawyers out there, but that's just the way it was when I started the business. Oh, if Michael's listening, he's going to be pissed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. You're up next. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just admitting I don't know anything about taxes, so uh, we, we've got these two experts uh, on the line with us, and uh, we probably need to know what people should be thinking about in January and, uh, you know, what they need to be thinking about uh, uh, offset how they can offset their taxes for the remainder of 2019. So in January, what what do people who own franchises and are franchisors uh, need to be uh, have in the forefront of their uh, thoughts? Oh, I can. Wow, uh, that's a long. Let me. Yeah, let me jump in on the franchisors. Uh, one of the things franchisors should be looking at, uh, uh, and this isn't. A tax answer, but it's more on the accounting and auditing side since they need audited financials. A franchisor that had a good year last year, that uh, made more money, that sold new franchises, that uh, you know feels they had uh, a good year, should be jumping in as soon as possible to get their audit done uh, for a few reasons. One, their accounting and auditing firm. Uh, is usually pretty busy this time of the year, 
And as we get into February, March, and April, the accounting firm gets a lot busier than what they are usually in January. Second, even though the FDD isn't due until 120 days after their year end, if they had a good year in 2018, they want to get, or they should want to get that new FDD out there as soon as possible so that they can start handing it out to prospective franchisees because the financials will look better than the year before and that will help them sell franchises, should help them sell franchises. So, uh, you know, they shouldn't be waiting to get their year-end closed out and to get their auditor going on the audit. And a lot of times audit firms, because they know it's not due uh, for 120 days, they, they may take their time on the uh, franchisor's audit and focus on other clients. But uh, a franchisor, if they had a good year, should let their audit firm know that they want the audit done as soon as possible and should give their outside uh, franchise attorney a heads up that the financials are going to be ready sooner than prior years so that the FDD can be done. Because the the earlier they get it done, uh, the more help they get selling franchises. So that's uh, you know, a tip for franchisors there is if you had a good year last year, get your audit done as soon as possible and get your new FDD issued early so that you can start using it to sell franchises. And on that, we're going to take a break. And we'll hit, since we have that nice little tone in there, which I think was Ray reminding me it's time to take the station Sorry. break, I want to remind, remind our, our call listeners that they can either put questions in through the website. I see you hanging out on the website there, so you can ask questions. Or you can call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. We want to thank Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. And now a word from our first sponsor. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. And as a quick note, the Great American Franchise Expo is uh, within the next, I think it's next eight, nine days, is having their first ever uh, Great American Franchise Expo in Cuba. Unfortunately, yeah, the heart attack stopped us from going, but that's what it is. So, Ray, what's your next question? Well, uh, I, I think we need to continue on uh, what people need to be doing in January. Uh, as, a, uh, as an example, I know last year um, the IRS passed some regulations uh, regarding amortization of uh, the time in which uh, certain uh, purchases are amortized. And uh, I think I, uh, my accountant took, uh, took that into consideration for me, and it, it helped me out quite a bit. Uh, has that been carried on to this new year? 
Well, one Tom, of the, one of the changes last. All right. Fine. Okay, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. No, go ahead, Ron. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> one of the one of the changes last year that the IRS made re, uh, regarding depreciation and amortization was increasing the Section 179 uh, the expense election limits. So uh, it's too late in January of 2019 to do anything new for 2018, but you for 2018 you could uh, ex- basically expense up to a million dollars of fixed asset purchases. So uh, that'll help at tax time for both franchisors and franchisees. Uh, but for so for 2019, it's expected to be at least a million dollars for Section 179, possibly a little more than that. And it relates to uh, you know buying equipment, buying furniture, uh, buying certain vehicles, and being able to totally expense the cost of that asset in the year you bought it, rather than having to depreciate it over a period of time. Right, right. So that's a good thing for yeah. franchisees and franchisors. It's too late in January to do anything for the prior year now. Uh, usually what happens is in November, December, you get an idea of your financial position for the year. And if there are fixed asset purchases that you need to make, you try to make them uh, before the end of the year so that you can, you know, anything you buy, for example, on December 31st, if you're a December 31st calendar year end, you could expense it on that tax return, so you get a pretty big bang for your buck right away, uh, rather than buying it January 1st and having to wait a whole year to file that tax return and get the deduction. Uh, you know, so that that was a planning opportunity for last year, and it'll be a planning opportunity, you know, towards the end of 2019 again for, you know, what you've got. A, you've got a lot of franchisees that need to remodel their store or their restaurant under the franchise agreement. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, depending on if they, if they do it wisely and get things broken out the right way for the equipment and the furniture and everything on their bills that they get, they can uh, accelerate the, the deduction. You're usually better off getting deductions now and recognizing revenue later, deferring revenue and accelerating deductions. Mm-hmm. And even even I, I for those, those, I was, was going to say, and even for those franchises that uh, maybe are not profitable in a in a startup year, they really want to look at taking that Section 179 deduction because that allows them to carry it over into future years when they will be profitable and offset that income at that point. So it's a conversation that every franchisee that has made significant uh, equipment purchases during the year needs to have with their CPA or their tax advisor before filing that tax return. Yeah, that's a good point, Tom. I've looked. I can't tell you how many returns I've looked at because Ray and Fred, the 179 deduction can't create a loss, so it basically can get you down to zero, and any unused amount gets carried forward. I've seen a lot of tax returns uh, prepared by 
you know, the firms that new new clients used to use before they switched to us, where that accountant, instead of taking the 179 deduction and creating a carryover, just started depreciating those assets. And uh, it uh, is not usually the 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 way to go. Usually, you you want to, as a tax preparer, you want to uh, just get the deductions. If it creates uh, a carryover, that's good because it can be used the next year or in future years rather than having to worry about depreciating an asset on the books for five years or seven years or even longer sometimes. All right. So, yeah, a quick question. Quick question. Um, for the listeners who may not be really up on taxes, things like that, what is a 179 deduction? So Section 179 refers to the uh, Internal Revenue Code section that this election is uh, set into the, the code with. And it allows the taxpayer to elect to expense certain equipment and, and leasehold expenditures and vehicle expenditures in the year that they acquire it versus having to set it up and depreciate it over the useful life of that asset. So let's take a let's take a mitigation restoration company that uses vans and trucks, right? If they buy a van and don't elect Section 179, they are locked into the useful life of that asset, depreciating over that useful life. If they do take the Section 179 election, they're able to expense it the year that they acquire it, regardless of whether or not they pay cash for it or they debt finance the, the asset. So it's a really good planning tool for capital-intensive businesses. It's also a good planning tool for maybe a multi-unit operator that is expanding with uh, multiple locations, maybe as in a restaurant or a, a retail-type franchise. Uh, they can be in a situation where they can have a lot of Section 179 and be able to carry it over for many years, possibly, as they expand their their units, their number of units. So I, I have to say that, what, that that really worked in my favor last year. Uh, when I met with my accountant before the end of the year, she said to me, "Ray, you need to buy something." I said, "I do." She says, "Buy something, Ray." <laughs> okay. So I did. Hey, Ray, I had a meeting once with a client uh, with some year-end planning, and uh, they thought they had made too much money that year and were looking for ways to reduce their tax basis, their their tax liability. And I told them, you know, just to pay me more accounting fees. <laughs> <laughs> of course that works, too, I'm sure. <laughs> you, you know, you also have to look, Ray, and you know, the economics of it, too. I mean, you know, we always advise clients, don't just go and buy something. You know, buy something that you really need that can make money for you in your business. And if it's, you know, rec uh, meeting some obligation they have to um, to 
to upgrade their franchise location, uh, to retrofit it, if they need new vans or trucks. Those are all good things to buy, but we really want to be careful because it's it's not a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset. I mean, because it's, it's really if you write off, you know, uh, $30,000 uh, for a piece of equipment and your tax rate's 33%, you only really save $10,000. So, you know, we don't want customers out there putting themselves where they're, they're just buying equipment for the sake of getting the deduction. Yeah, it's got to make economic sense as well. So if Ray's going to go out and buy a whole new, a whole new fleet of cars, then it would make sense. If he needed to put them to work in his business, absolutely. Um, I was afraid you might say an RV. Or a private jet. So if, but since that's the mobile broadcasting studio one, then wouldn't that work? I think there's a pretty good argument for that. See? Yeah. Told you, eh? That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was a good argument. Well, well I, I, I would think so, too, but, uh, you know, I'm not the IRS, so. You got two, you got two, two good tax folk here. They can tell you. We just need to have it wrapped for a pillar with the Pillars logo, right? Absolutely, but Fred, you know, you could have looked at, you could have bought that new computer in December instead of buying it in January. Now that you're going to need it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been right. thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Don't don't remind we, me. Don't we should also, me. yeah, we should also throw in there too. There's been some real changes too for small pieces of equipment. Uh, you know, you can just you know, automatically expense those um, depending on what your your book treatment your book accounting treatment is too so um, you know that, that's another thing to discuss with your tax preparer your CPA mm -hmm. makes sense to me yeah and so you're, you're just you're with your internal staff too uh, you know Ray so I and here's an example of what Tom was just talking about my wife had me deposit some of her expense reimbursement checks about a week ago from her company and she had been on a business trip and they needed uh, or actually no it was her office here in Michigan they needed a new toaster oven so she went out and bought one and put it on her expense report for like $54 and you know being the accountant type that I am she gives me her checks uh, to go and deposit for her and I notice on the stub with her reimbursement check that her their accounting department had coded that $54 for the toaster oven to office equipment instead of office supplies. So they had capitalized 54 bucks, which will drive most outside CPAs crazy when they see that at the end of the year. So, you know, the the way to get the way to fix all that is like what Tom was referring to is just to have a capitalization policy within your company where you only record as an asset stuff that costs $500 or more, or $1000 or more. It's really just come up with a reasonable policy so that things over that amount get recorded as fixed assets and either depreciated or expensed using 179 and things under that uh, dollar amount get expensed just into office supplies or some account like that so that it's not carried on your books 
forever and being depreciated, uh, et cetera. That's, that's right. So, and depending on you know, individual circumstances, uh, companies really can expense a piece of equipment up to $5,000, providing they treat it the same way on the, on, for book accounting purposes uh, and, and just expense it in the year without having to capitalize it and then take the Section 179 deduction. Uh, they need to, you know, you need to talk to your accountant though to make sure you understand both of those scenarios where you're just expensing it when you purchase it versus where you're capitalizing it and taking the Section 179 election on it. Okay, yeah, so we've been talking about. Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. No, that's that's what's so complicated. I'm I'm trying to think about what he just said, and I just purchased all new computers for the office. And they were about seven hundred dollars each, and I bought eight. So I I I do have in my uh, a chart of accounts a a line item for computer equipment. So I guess it, it, it's going to depend how my tax accountant treats that line item uh, of computer equipment. Is that correct? That's right. You need to raise that question to them and. Um, you know, see what's the best way to treat it for you. If you meet the rules, to just go ahead and expense it. I think as as Ron had suggested, if your capitalization policy was a thousand dollars, and each of those individual computers are seven hundred, you should be able to expense those without setting them up as a fixed asset, and then you know taking the Section 179 deduction. Uh, it's really kind of you got to kind of think of what's significant. Uh, for your business, what what makes sense for a capitalization policy? But today, computers really are are almost disposable, versus you know several years ago when you know it was kind of a long lived asset. You didn't want to turn it over as often as you do today. But they're they're really almost consumable, disposable within really about three years. Uh, yeah, I'd probably get one that lasted three years. That's <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> they make uh, good uh, uh, paperweights and doorstops. They Ray, also can be repel. Well Go ahead. I was going to say, Ray, you're going to be well coached by the time you have that tax meeting here in the next couple weeks. You can also use them to gonna know He's going to know enough to be dangerous. Well, he's going to become an accountant now. And then we'll have oh, to change it to no. pillar pillars of accounting. Oh, God, no, I don't even want to think about that. So my next question, um, is slight digression here. Why do people become accountants? Isn't there professional help for them? <laughs> well, I know, uh, Fred, is uh, both my daughters are lawyers. Neither one wanted to become an accountant. So I don't know why. I haven't asked them why, but... Uh, it is what it is. Oh, that's a question yeah. we got to get answered. <laughs> <laughs> My dad told me it would be a good profession to go into, and I don't think he had any idea what accountants do. <laughs> I, I followed his advice. I've got an accounting degree of CPA, and um, you know, it's a, it's a. An enjoyable profession, you know, like other professions, there's things that I wish were different, but uh, it is enjoyable. And 
the thing that people ask me is like I don't understand how you can work with numbers all day and my response to them always is well I don't and they look kind of startled but the truth is no matter what you do you first work with people and you know in our case we work with people and then we deal with numbers and, you know, I think if you think about it that way and you think about and focus on the relationship and the people aspect of it, it's a great profession. Mm, yeah, I've met some accountants, and talking to people is not, we'll put it nicely, their strong point. <laughs> those, are the, those, are, those are the guys Tom and I compete with every day, Fred. So uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, the accountants in general, I think, don't have a great reputation as being, uh, having good personalities uh, and stuff like that. <laughs> so the ones the ones that do uh, have a little bit of an edge. Uh, they don't just sit, you know, and it's kind of like franchisees too. So, uh, you know, a good franchisee isn't standing behind the counter all day waiting for the next customer to walk in, they're out there doing things. They're getting involved in the community. They're they're doing things out there trying to bring business in. I have to agree with you. That's that's very true. I think in any business, personality yeah. is something you, you've got to you've got to have, no matter no matter what that's, you're in. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. So we're out there, uh, you know, meeting with business owners, helping people solve problems, uh, helping them grow. Uh, helping them, you know, fix things, and uh, it's exciting. You can get, you know, it, it it can it can be very exciting to help people realize their life's dreams by, uh, you know, by having a successful business and and finding them ways to be even more successful. Uh, uh, it's exciting for us, and I think that's, uh, you know, any accountant that's been in it uh, for a long time has to have things that they love. Uh, about it, or it just becomes a drag because uh, it's there's a lot of hours involved. Uh, Hello. Oh, we It's fun. Oh, there. It's fun. All right, Hello. we're all back. Okay, so on that note, uh, we will remind our listeners they can call in at three two three five eight zero five seven five five. That's 323-580-5755. And now another word from another sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. Does the marketing that corporate provides for your franchise go far enough? Do you struggle to get local clients to call or come through your door? At Mediavine Marketing, we love working with franchises like yours to personalize and localize your marketing efforts through social media sites like Facebook or Instagram, in emails to your current and past customers, with Facebook or Google Ads, and whiteboard animation videos. Contact Mediavine Marketing today at 805-265-5440 or go to mediavinemarketing.com. That's 805-265-5440. Mediavine Marketing. We know franchises, and we want to help yours grow. And we're back. Uh, so I will... M- I will just respond to one one raised last comment, and that is to say people don't trust a technology person who has a good personality. They're just not accepted there. It took me years to develop a personality. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, you know, since we're since we're talking about this, I do want to make a comment, and I've made this comment on the show before. I think as unemployment uh, becomes less of an issue, that means employ people who employ people are going to have a harder time. And if they don't have a good personality, in other words, the employer, and they don't have good emotional intelligence, they're going to have a very hard time keeping employees. So it's critical that if you feel you have an, uh, an employment issue now as an employer, start looking for you know ways to improve the relationship you have with your employees. Yeah, yeah Ray, it's uh, amazing. Uh, um, another time, say, Ray, it's, it, it's really amazing how much culture comes into play with the employment decisions today. And uh, if you, as an, in a business owner, haven't looked at what your culture is and tried to define your culture, you have one, but it's been defined for you. So, you know, we've, our approach has really been to take a proactive approach to what kind of culture we want in our company and um, embrace technology I think, to me, one of the most exciting things going on in accounting today is just the the rapidly changing accounting technology that's out there, and that can really help franchisees and franchisors who are able to capitalize on how data flows across systems that maybe haven't talked to each other in the past and um, integrate and be able to get real-time data and understand where they're at in their numbers throughout the course of a month or certainly within a few days at the end of a month and to understand what are the key drivers in their business. So then since we're talking technology, um, are we talking just accounting systems, QuickBooks on steroids? Are we talking about ERP systems that have gone to the cloud? Um, what do you see the top software packages doing? Well, you know, what we've seen is if, if you go back in time, Fred, and you can probably relate to this, uh, not because I'm saying you're old. Um, I'm I am. not. He is old. <laughs> he is old. <laughs> I was thinking through that as I was saying it. I had to be careful there. Um, but but you and I, you know, we saw, you know, computers, and you kind of had this best-of-breed software where, um, you know, you would pick the best program for a specific purpose, and none of those things used to talk to one another. Yeah, and then what amen. you saw was these ERP systems or these suites of software that developed, so you kind of had one solution for all of those different modules or areas of the business, but they might not have performed as you know good as the quote best of breed had performed, but you sacrificed that because they talked to one another. Mm-hmm. And now what we're seeing is it's kind of moving back to the best of breed scenario, especially with the uh, the amount of cloud software that's available out there, and the open um, uh, application integration where we can pull data from one application and bring it in to another application. So, 
you know, think about point-of-sale systems for franchisees. And today, every, and there's a lot of POS systems out there, and today, if they don't already automatically have an integration with the top accounting packages, there's a third-party software somewhere that will integrate that point-of-sale system so that franchisor, or I'm sorry, franchisee, can see their numbers going into their financial statements every day versus having to wait till the end of the month and past uh, you know, times where, where you had to journal entry everything over. So what we're seeing is almost a real-time uh, financial statement, almost on a daily basis. We're not, not quite there yet, but, but the technology and the integration is really getting us rapidly close to that. Right. In other words, you, you need to catch up with the trends if you haven't been doing that already because it's important. It's rapidly changing. Yes. Fred, you right. So, Fred, something? I wanted to go back uh, to something oh, Ray brought up a few minutes ago regarding uh, employees. And uh, I think I sent you guys an article that I had seen uh, earlier today regarding independent contractors and the rapid rise uh, in people working as independent contractors as opposed to employees. So this is just, uh, you know, there, there's a variety of reasons for that, I think. One is uh, employers save on payroll taxes. Uh, if they have in a, you know somebody who's an independent contractor versus an employee, uh, they can also uh, save on employee benefits, uh, save you know in a variety of ways as an employer. If your workers are independent contractors as opposed to uh, employees, I think some of the recent tax law changes regarding uh, employee business expenses and the uh, the taking away of the deductibility of employee business expenses uh, could be driving people to want to work as an independent contractor because then, in, in effect, they're a uh, small business owner and they can deduct their business expenses against the income that they lose on both franchisors and franchisees. Is There are a bunch of rules out there uh, that define what an independent contractor is and, uh, you know, versus an employee. And an employer needs to make sure uh, that they're classifying their, employee, their, their workers properly because if they, if they misclassify somebody as an independent contractor when they should be an employee, that employer could have uh, potential liability for back payroll taxes. They could have potential liability for uh, employee benefit plans, for retirement plans, for all kinds of things. So they need to make sure, and the, the rules are available out there if they want to, you know, they can Google uh, independent contractor classification or something similar to that and find the rules out there, but they want to make sure that they're classifying and treating their workers properly uh, as either an independent contractor or an employee. Okay, so from what I remember on the independent contractor, um, 
usually if they supplied their own equipment and and they were not and they worked for other companies also you knew for sure that they were an independent contractor is that do those those are yeah those are a couple of the yeah that those are a couple of the major things so they can they they kind of make their own hours they uh supply their own equipment they work for other people so if you've got somebody that's working 20 or 30 or 40 hours a week for you and they're only working for you and they're coming to your office and using your desks and your e- computers and your phones and things like that uh have business cards with the name of your company on them it's it's you know it's more likely than not that they're really an employee and not an independent contractor there's other rules there that might let them qualify as an independent contractor but uh uh employers should be aware of what the rules are and what the consequences could be for them if they misclassify somebody you know, to me, this is a really big, uh, especially in the, the today's gig society, this is a, a really, really important thing to understand because I've heard horror stories of uh, independent contractors going back and um, claiming later that they were employees and uh, because the employer had let them work all the time at the office or had supplied them a laptop or something like that, they were getting hit bad so I Ray, you have any horror stories? I do not. Uh, my contract with uh, the franchisors uh, basically says that my employees have to be my employees. So uh, it's never been an issue. So, but there was else? there was there, there there was a thing that came up last year. I think the IRS made some strong rulings on is what is a manager in your company, and I know a lot of companies were trying to avoid paying overtime by classifying some of their employees as managers. Uh, and and maybe uh, uh, Tom around like to uh, uh, kind of go rehash that a little bit and how that's changed the, the uh, how employers look at their employees. Ron, you take this one first. Uh, yeah, I think I want to defer to Tom on this one. I, it is a big issue. Most of the time at accounting firms, for example, uh, you know, our staff uh, are professionals, and it's not really that they need to be a manager. It's more in the way of being uh, professionals to where the overtime rules could be different for CPA firms. Uh, as far as time and a half and things like that go, but it's it's definitely an issue for you know for regular employers uh, on the overtime, and it's that's another thing. In fact, that somebody you treat as an independent contractor, but who who works a bunch of hours for you, can come back at you for later is the overtime that you didn't pay them that they would have been entitled to if they were an employee. Right, Tom. What kind of issues do you see with your clients and your payroll company, your payroll company and its clients on that? Well, with you know specifically addressing the issue that Ray was speaking of, 
it goes back to a rule that uh, was a Department of Labor rule under the Obama regi- uh, administration, and it did get overturned, I believe, in a Texas court uh, just before it went uh, into effect. But basically what it was trying to say was salaried employees in a manager position that have been exempt from overtime in the past are now going to be subject to uh, or, uh, you know, being paid overtime for hours over 40 in a uh, pay period. And that that changed, that got overturned. So we're still operating as we have in, in the past, those uh, salary uh, exempt employees are are their manager employees. They're paid salary and they're not subject to the overtime rules. Um, it will probably be challenged again. There will probably be an effort, you know, especially if we have a change in in Washington, and we probably do every, you know, what four to eight years. Um, it'll probably come back up as a as a you know in, initiative to try to get that reinstated. Yeah, right now we have changes in Washington almost every day. <laughs> Some kind of change. <laughs> yeah. I, I simply avoid that by everybody makes overtime. So if you're working over 40 in my organization, you get overtime. I don't care what your job is. Yeah. Okay, so we're running out of time here. Uh, Ron, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, my firm is Fran CPA PLLC, and our office phone number is 248-331-5465. Email address is ron at com. Say that again because you kind of cut out there for a second. Okay. Say your email address again. Uh, email is ron, R-O-N, at francpaplc.com. And, Tom, how do people get a hold of you? You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, and, you know, um, I'm more than happy to accept your invite. You can also find us at www.porterfieldcpa.com. And I think there's probably a link there on the pillars of franchising website i think uh in my bio yeah we got it in there oh <laughs> uh, you're good fred you're really good is that before or after the the crash fred is it still in there um, that was that yeah it's still in there and and amazingly <laughs> enough after screwing around with enough cables everything's back up so i'm lucky uh, <laughs> hallelujah the desktop is not dead now i'll do backups so once I, I know I've I've learned a lot, Ray. What about you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I got I gotta talk to my tax accountant tomorrow. <laughs> look at so you can send a bill to about. You guys can send the bill to Ray. No, just kidding there. So uh <laughs> just wanna take a thank thank everyone for listening. Take a one last uh one last uh, break for a sponsor and then we'll throw a curveball question at Ron. And Tom. Varian Firm International Business Brokers is truly unique in the business resale space. 
While the average business broker uses one standard multiplier across all businesses and industries to value a business, Varian Firm is the only business brokerage that looks at the five factors of distinction in each individual business. This gives our sellers a true value and our buyers a fair price. Varian offers sellers the choice of three marketing packages based on how quickly they want to sell their business. But all of our businesses sell 33% faster than the industry norm. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers connects premium investors with validated business opportunities. I really kind of like her and that 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 it's kind of a high class ending music there. So first we'll go to to Ron. Ron, if you weren't a CPA, what would you be and why? Uh, what would I be and why? Probably a lawyer. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, just uh, just because the the baseball career ended when I tore my rotator cuff, so that would have been first choice. But uh, probably a lawyer, and and it's I think for a lot of the same reasons that I'm a CPA is uh, uh, you're working with different people or different businesses all the time, helping them solve their problems and stay out of trouble and uh, thinking things through uh, and finding ways to help them. So uh, other than it would have been, you know, another three years of school, which I didn't really want to go through when I finally was able to graduate (laughs) from Michigan, I'd probably be a lawyer. Okay. Now, Tom, you got to come up with a real good one because you've had time to, you know, adjust to the question. What would you be and why? <laughs> oh, there would be a lot of exciting things that I could say for an answer, but this is, you'll, I think you'll find this, this interesting maybe. Um, I really enjoyed anthropology when I was in college, and, uh, you know, I think I've got nine or 12 hours of anthropology and. Uh, I just found it very interesting, all aspects, and, you know, there's some even, you know, really, it's the study of human civilization really is what it is, and uh, I think it's very interesting. Okay, not what I was expecting, but (laughs) I I often learn things on this show. I think I learn more than the average person does, so... Oh, well, Fred, Fred, wait a minute, it's your turn now. If, if, If you weren't doing what you're doing, which is... I haven't figured that out but yet. But what is he doing? What, what is he doing? <laughs> what else would you be doing besides a beach ball? I, uh, I think I would probably be a psychologist because, yeah, rooting around in people's brains and finding answers, that always just kind of appeals me, appeals to me. Or just figuring out what the bleep are you doing, dude, and why. Um, that always kind of, kind of appeals to me. <laughs> And I do that in my present job anyways, as a marketing person. Yeah. Marketing, marketing. Yes. Yeah. Man, I'm not saying that enough. Oh, All right, the M word. Yeah, the M word. Say the magic word and the duck comes down. I'm still looking for the correct clip there. And what would you be, Ray, if you were not the Superman of Molly Maid? I, I would probably be a physicist. I love it. I love the study of everything. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. So on that note, uh, we're, it's been a really interesting, a 
accounting show. Hopefully you've got uh, all the answers you need for your 2019 uh, accounting season. If not, you know how to get a hold of Ron, you know how to get a hold of Tom, or you can fill out the form on the pillarsoffranchising.com website. We'll be back next week with another weird show. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye now. Yeah.